This is Britta, and welcome to Model Jeans Podcast. This podcast is to introduce you to working models from around the world. From great laughs to tears of horror, our models will discuss their journey and what makes their workday in the modeling industry. This following podcast is brought to you by Model Genealogy. It's an informational platform that provides skills for aspiring models to succeed. You can take the test and find out what type of model you are, and they'll guide you on the path that is right for you in the modeling industry. Models will learn everything from how to get an agent and what to do once you get one, what type of pictures are right for you, what the client's expectations are, how to take care of yourself as a model, and what to expect if you want to work in other markets, plus much more. We're here with Catherine Wold, also known as Kitty Cat in my books. <laughs> She's kind of gotten that nickname for a while. Uh, and we're going to talk today a little bit about her experience with modeling. Hey, Cat. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Yes, I'm super excited to be here. We're super excited to have you. And hopefully all your little sisters and brothers out there who are aspiring models will be able to... Uh, learn some uh, steps in your own shoes and uh, also kind of get to know you too. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about and start with always a good story um, because things happen on set all the time that you're like, oh shit. Uh, (laughs) Right. And so um, I wanted to take us back to the time when you kind of first started modeling, um, and I believe it was with Snapchat. Yes. So Snapchat was shooting a campaign for their spectacles, the little sunglasses that have cameras built into them. It was a really fun shoot. We were shooting on Catalina Island, which is off the coast of California. Three days staying on this island, shooting on a yacht, shooting on land. And for some of the shots, they were using drones which was funny because the night before we had had a conversation about how drones are kind of unpredictable. Sometimes they go out of range and have a mind of their own. So after hours of getting shots from this drone, both jumping off the yacht, um, going on jet ski rides, a model is on a jet ski, going straight, goes a ways away with this drone following behind. And when she turns to come back towards us, the drone doesn't. So it falls (laughs) into the ocean. We lost all of our footage we had shot. And every, I mean, the producers, everyone on the boat would just kind of sat and watched it happen. Like, well, <laughs> back to square one. So, so then what, what did they do? Did they, did they have a second drone or? Yeah. So they had a few drones and they had been backing up, um, some of the previous stuff we shot, but that one, I mean, someone else took a jet ski out to see if there was any chance we could find it, but it was as good as gone. And we ended up going back and reshooting a couple of those clips um, in a hot tub and back again, jumping in the ocean. But everyone just kind of sat there like, well, what do we, what do we do? So, okay, explain to everybody about Catalina Island, because I don't believe anyone who is yeah. not part of LA really understands how far out Catalina Island is as well. So were you, were you already at the island and doing the drone or did you because you had to take a boat out there right yeah we went to I think it was 
like Marina Bay and we got on a boat, took a little ferry. I don't think it was maybe an hour or so. Um, got to the island and they actually don't have cars on the island. Everyone just drives golf carts. So we park at this, the ferry parks, we get off and they just have golf carts ready to pick us up and take us all to our hotel. And it almost felt like the set of a movie. Like I was in Universal Studios and everyone's kind of going around in their golf carts. (laughs) But yeah, I think we spent the night at the hotel. Everyone had to get their nails done and kind of prep for the shoot. And then the next day was when we woke up went on the yacht and they were doing all the drone stuff. But since we were shooting on a boat, they gave people the little wristbands that will hold a pressure point that kind of help alleviate uh, seasickness. And models are taking Dramamine and they're like, make sure it's not the drowsy stuff. So we're all passing out halfway through the shoot day. But Minor issues. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then was the shoot for just like one day or? It was three days in Catalina, two days that we were shooting. And we shot primarily on this yacht. And then I, we did a couple stuff kind of on land. Um, so, and it was both video and photos. It was pretty fun. Amazing. Way fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would have to say that um, it's always fun to also go see like a new place every time um, you model. I think that's one of the perks. Um, yeah one of my favorite parts for sure are there any other um markets or places that you have like fallen in love with that when you first came onto the the land london was one place and i think i just wanted to go there my entire life so when i finally got there i was like oh my gosh i'm doing it i'm here and you know you don't have as much culture shock with people still speaking english and um it was so easy to get around so London was definitely one of my favorite markets. And then Greece was just somewhere that I'd always wanted to go and never anticipated I would, especially for work. And there's so much history there. It's kind of, you know, Athens is a little dirtier and definitely opened my eyes up to it. But I had some shoots that were in, you know, Athens National Gardens. I'm prancing through these flowery fields in beautiful gowns and I just stopped and thought, is this really work? Am I getting paid for this? Like (laughs) traveling and playing dress up. So pinching yourself a little bit. Exactly. So we're going to go back to markets at some point about all the markets that you've been into because you've, you've been in quite a few. Um, But let's start back to your childhood and kind of let everybody know like how you grew up. Like what was your childhood like? So I grew up in Bloomington, Minnesota and played soccer my whole life. We have a cabin in Wisconsin, so I spent a lot of time up there. Um, But went to school here and have mom, dad, two brothers, my dog, kind of a typical little suburban life. And it wasn't until probably high school that I started getting scouted by a couple smaller boutique agencies at concerts, but I was probably five, five, six or five, seven at the time, but all legs. So that's kind of what then led me to dive into the industry. So um, how did your parents feel about modeling when you um, were starting to get scouted? So my brother, who's 10 years older than me, had also been approached by a couple scouts back in the day. And my parents set up some shoot with him, you know, paid all this money, and it just ended up being a total hoax, which, you know, there are a lot of. 
So at first, um, the first two agencies that had scouted me, my mom did some research and she's like, I just, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, your brother kind of got scammed and so they were definitely skeptical about it to begin with. But then when I was at a One Direction concert in Chicago, I was scouted by Ford and my parents know nothing about the industry, but my mom goes, Ford models, that sounds familiar. So then I think she kind of, you know, the gear started turning and they got a little bit more into it. And that led us to meeting with you ultimately, which I think kind of was super informative for my parents and let them know a little bit about what we're jumping into. Yeah. And just for everybody to to know, Kat's uh, dad's background, he was a cop. So, <laughs> so when I had met Kat's dad, it was more of like an interrogation of questions. <laughs> <laughs> who are you what do you give me your give me your social security number like you know he was like on point with everything and asked a bazillion questions because he was a really protective parent which I have always said parents should be protective with their daughters and, and their sons um, in this business um, and they should do their due diligence and ask as many questions until they feel they're comfortable right um uh, was there anything that swayed your dad for you not to be a model or not to do this industry? I think a few things he was skeptical about were, I mean, photographers definitely have gotten this, what's the word, reputation. And not all photographers, but there's just this, it's known in the modeling industry that girls can be taken advantage of. And whether it's shoot with nudities or implied nudity he just wanted to feel comfortable about all of that. So I remember uh, when we had first met with Next, he was asking, you know, do girls have to do shoots like that? And which we then learned that it's all in the model. And if I don't want to do that, I don't have to. And so for him, it was definitely just asking questions with you and my other bookers about um, kind of my safety and what you guys do to keep us safe, which when it comes to photo shoots, you know, we're all informed to not just set up a shoot with someone on Instagram and go for it. It's go through the agency, they know the reputation of photographers and whether we should or shouldn't shoot with them. But yeah, he just definitely had a lot of questions about um, how we stay safe. And especially when it got into traveling, you know, are they traveling by themselves and do they have contacts there and kind of all the logistics of our safety. So like, what would you tell girls then who, um, who don't have an agency yet and they're getting contacted by photographers on Instagram, how, how would you suggest on vetting? You know, maybe it's because I'm a little more experienced, but I can go to someone's profile and kind of tell if their photography is respectable or even worth your time to do. Um, but if you're a minor and even if you're 18 and you feel more comfortable bringing your parent or a friend to the shoot, by all means, no photographer should have a problem with that. If it's what makes you feel safe and comfortable and it's also, if you do have an agent, kind of a red flag when a photographer says, oh, no, I don't go through agencies. They shouldn't have a reason not to. It's simply a safety feature. And, yeah, I mean, the, whatever feel you get for a photographer based on their social media, you don't even have to respond to them if you don't want to shoot with them. There's a lot of people that I'm like, yes, this is not even worth my time. <laughs> but You got to go. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, delete, yeah. and delete. And <laughs> delete. I think the big thing is like photographers just need to be really respectful of the model. You're using her image, her time. Um, but 
um, you're she's also in a very vulnerable position because of certain photographers that have um, abused kind of like uh, the that situation that you're talking about. So I think it's really right. important for I always tell my girls bunny ears up. So you keep your little bunny ears up and you make sure everything is fine. And if it's not, you're out instantly. Right. Whether it's at the very beginning of that conversation on Instagram, all the way until like you walk into the studio and you start shooting. Right. And in those situations, whether it's at the very beginning, at the middle or at the end, when you feel uncomfortable, you have to go to the bathroom and you call your mom, dad, agent, whoever it is. But I think the most important thing to maintain your safety is just remembering that you have a voice and that it matters and people will help you and you never have to feel stuck in those uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And I think it's important to always say, I I say, speak up. Like if you don't speak up, then no one can help you. So always speak up. Don't ever be scared to not speak up. Right? Right. Yeah. Which can be hard as a young young boy or girl and feel like it's your first couple shoots or you're on a job and you don't know what you're doing is right. It's like, just say it and use your voice. Um, when you were younger and you started doing your jobs, um, or just your test shoots, uh, was there a point where, um, you were just like, not quite sure if you should speak up about anything or just even if it's, uh, something really easy and simple, like, uh, that the type of clothing that you're wearing or how your hair is done or yeah I mean I definitely could tell I would get more comfortable as time went on with kind of voicing my feelings but for the most part I think I was pretty lucky to work with um, photographers stylists makeup artists all who cared about my well-being and would ask me um, you know are you comfortable not wearing a bra under this shirt would you prefer to do that and even sometimes can we part your hair on this side or this side? Which do you prefer? Just little times like that, getting to kind of voice your feelings was important. But yeah, I think on most of my jobs in the beginning, um, we just all maintained pretty open communication on set and things went smoothly. So um, back when you first started, can you let everybody know how long it took for you um to actually, well, everybody just sees like where you've accomplished right. everything now, and they don't know the whole path, the process that you've gone through. So, mm-hmm. from the time that you got signed with uh, an agency, give us an idea of like the time length it took for you just to get your feet wet to st- and what that looked like. Right. So, I believe we met in the summer. And come fall, we started doing development classes. So I'd come to the agency once a week and learning about different tips for nutrition and styling, runway walking, skincare, kind of all the basis and building that foundation to start. So that was probably for a few months and we would do different classes on movement, just getting comfortable in front of the camera and really kind of building confidence before I even had my first real test shoot making sure my skin was on par and uh, looking at just different shoots, seeing movement and trying to get a feel for it before we jumped in. So it was definitely a few months, um, probably 
five months until I had a shoot. And then we used that first test shoot to start building my portfolio. But yeah, it's a long, long ways until you start, you know, going to castings and doing more frequent shoots and then getting paid jobs. So it takes a long time to just kind of get comfortable with all that the industry is about. And then, um, and then when did you get to go to your first market and where was that? So my senior year, we flew out to New York and I ended up meeting and signing with next model management. And that was in April. And our plan was for me to go out to New York for the summer. But then when I came home, we kind of rearranged the plans and decided LA was a better market to dip my toes in. A little slower paced, um, super busy all the time. So many photographers who are willing to do free test shoots, which was great for building my portfolio. So I moved out to LA in June and ended up spending close to a year there. And then, so. and then from there, um, when was your next market? So I came home from LA and went down to Florida for a month and then went up to New York. Okay, hold on one second. Why did you go to Florida? <laughs> so we got to explain this to everybody because I think this is a, and why, why is, is a good, is a, a good pathway into this? Because um, every model kind of gets into this on their first market. So maybe kind of explain how your first market went. And okay. yes, we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, so I obviously had not been thrown into a real big market. I had just been doing local stuff in Minneapolis. So even, you know, having multiple castings a day and trekking all over LA was something different that I wasn't used to. And you're going to castings that hundreds of girls might go to. And so eventually you get in your head, you know, I've gone to this many castings and I haven't booked a job or I've only booked one job out of this many castings. And modeling is definitely a mental game and you spend a lot of time in your head. So after almost a year out there, I just realized I felt lost. I'm like, I don't really remember why I want to do this and what I'm here for and what my goals are. And that I remember calling you and just saying, I need to get out of here. I don't like who I am here. I don't like how I am when I'm here and I need a reset. So came down to Florida and spent a month, you know, changing my diet to paleo based and getting in a good fitness routine that worked for me because everyone will say in your ear, you know, try this, try that. And this works and this works. But at the end of the day, everyone's body's different. Our skin is different. The way that we take to exercise is different. And it is a lengthy process figuring out what works for you. In fact, I still try to figure out what workouts my body listens to the best. But I needed to take a month out of that intense industry to kind of reset. And that's when I got in the practice of meditation and daily meditation, kind of realigning my goals and setting up my future with what I wanted to do. So Florida was definitely a crucial turning point. Got to have some fun time with my agent. Yes, and uh, I should say that, uh, where was your bed? <laughs> My bed was an air mattress in your kitchen. Because <laughs> we didn't have any room. Uh, at the time, I had just moved down to Florida, and we had a little one-bedroom, I call it a shack. It was like in a carriage house. and like a cottage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I all I had was a... Uh, 
a blow-up mattress and the only place we could fit it was in the dining room which was right by the kitchen right by the refrigerator so yeah. uh so what was your routine with me because i think part of the the, the reset was also just um to find that Structure. healthy yeah that healthy way to be a model and a lot of times when you go to your first market you forget because you're so new on how to stay healthy and in the mindset of being a model does that make sense so right. um what was like our what was like the routine for the day so we would wake up and right away go to the beach at what time like 7 a.m yeah it was like six or seven <laughs> Yes, I think sometimes it definitely was six, but I think sometimes we're like, we're sleeping in tomorrow, we're waking up at seven, <laughs> get to the beach before the sun's fully up, but we'd walk on the beach and do a meditation, do some morning stretches, which that became a part of my everyday, even now, and it was such a good way to start the day and kind of calm your mind before taking anything else on. So we'd walk and meditate and stretch, and then we'd make breakfast. And, and what was breakfast? Breakfast, what would we have? Coffee, always coffee. And did we do bulletproof coffee there? I think we did do bulletproof, yep. Yeah, so we and, bought it. And for anyone who doesn't know what bulletproof coffee is, it's a great way to um, get your energy in and, and, and have it sustain for the whole morning. And um, what I'll do is I'll put um, the bulletproof recipe down below um for all of you to have as well yes so we'd have bulletproof coffee and then either eggs a little maybe banana um so we cut out grains and added sugar which my favorite part of being in florida was going to the grocery store and learning there is sugar in everything (laughs) and so that was another you know, important thing that I learned down there was grocery shopping. And just because it says sugar-free, when you look and there's glucose and sucralose and dextrose, there's still sugar in it. So yeah, we would go grocery shopping together. And then I would go to the park with your husband and we would do exercises, kind of something different every day. We would run sprints through this grass field Um, crab walks, bear crawl, kind of anything on land, walking lunges. And then there's a playground there, which is perfect for pull-ups and some push-ups, kind of hanging from bars. But that was another important thing I learned that just because you don't have a gym doesn't mean you can't work out. I mean, Zach pushed me into the ground some of those days. And we're working out in humid Florida where the air is thick and hot and muggy but yeah those were definitely some good work I just remember you cussing out Zach every once in a while with I think it was the bear crawls is that right oh my gosh because my shoulders and wrists <laughs> he's like come on cat and he was like Jillian Michaels and the biggest loser like let's go let's go like, oh. and then they would push the kids off of the playground to use the equipment for their pull-ups they'd be like yeah. hey five-year-old get off that bar now oh out of here exactly (laughs) we're getting down and yeah we would you know you would work outside at different cafes there and I'd walk around and read write uh we went to the beach one day I do remember falling asleep in the sun and 
getting extremely sunburned before I had a test shoot down there. That was awesome. That was a lesson learned. We always use sunscreen, <laughs> especially when you're coming from being a pale little Minnesotan girl. Yeah. Yeah, you were like red like a, a, a red apple. Oh, Cherry. I know. I remember trying to put makeup on before this test shoot, and I'm like, my eyelids are swollen. <laughs> my skin is like in my blister. I think we, we just agreed that black and white was going to look good. Yeah, I think we <laughs> and didn't agree that. Nothing in color. <laughs> yeah. Black and white all the way. And then, um, and then at night you had like a second workout. Yeah. Yeah. Or we would go for, you know, long walks or just do short circuits, abs, um, kind of more toning things. But the morning was kind of the explosive exercises. And sometimes we would do those right when I woke up before I had eaten breakfast, um, which were difficult, but also good. If you were to just wake up, have bulletproof coffee, and then go get a workout in, you'd have enough energy for that and start burning calories before you're even consuming any. So it's good. And then, uh, so now, okay, you spent a month in Florida. And then what mm -hmm. happened? Then from there, we were in communication with my agency next in New York and set up a flight and kind of planned for me to come there. So I went to New York and was living in Williamsburg and got a membership for Orange Theory Fitness, which is similar to Barry's Boot Camp. I mean, I think they have a lot of different workout facilities like that now where half of the class is cardio. You know, you'll mess around with inclines on the treadmill and speed, sprinting, jogging, walking. And then the other half would be either on a rowing machine, doing weights, TRX straps, push-ups, um, but that was walking distance from my apartment. So every day, wake up, have coffee, go there. And then we were still in the process of working on my measurements before my agency, they wanted to start sending me to castings. So I'd go in for weekly check-ins with them, but mostly just focusing on workouts. And I'd take the train into Manhattan and walk 10 plus miles every day, uh, kind of familiarizing myself with the city and keep myself occupied and also Staying super active. So, what were um, so a, a couple questions for you? Um, what was your drive to keep working out every day? I mean, it had to be frustrating because you're going in every week to see your agency um, and having your measurements checked, which is always, uh, I, as far as I know, it's a model. It's not one model's favorite thing ever. Um, <laughs> And, and then to keep up like the, um, the excitement to work out and not weigh on yourself. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely one of the most trying things of this whole industry was you really have to want it and you have to remind yourself constantly why you want it. And I would kick myself and get frustrated. Like I'm working so hard. Why am I not seeing results? And I played soccer for 14 years, so guess what? My glutes want to bulk, and it was all about finding that workout that worked for me. But in terms of not getting bored, I just needed to switch it up constantly, whether it's yoga one day, Pilates a different day, going for a long walk another day. But I just found that if I went to the gym and told myself, I'm running this far and I'm doing this, I wouldn't want to do it. It got repetitive and I got bored. So switching it up and then you know, just constantly reminding myself 
where I wanted to go with modeling and what it was going to take to get there and why I started in the first place and how far I had come since the very beginning. So it's a lot of pep talks with yourself and yeah, just a lot of, you know, figuring out what you want and why you want it to kind of keep healthy driven. Yeah. And, um, what else did you do for like your downtime while you were like running around the rest of the day waiting for castings or. So I got super into reading and writing, which were great because I could do them wherever I was. If it was on a train or bus, plane, but I would walk and try to find, you know, the small, cute coffee shops rather than Starbucks, although I love it. I'd find (laughs) cute little nooks in Brooklyn and every city that I went to. I would sit down and write. I read all seven Harry Potter books while I was on stay in Singapore. Mother of God. (laughs) And then watched movies. But, yeah, I mean, I just got really good at spending time by myself and to the point that I craved that, you know, people would ask if I could hang out. I'm like, I just kind of want to be alone. I go to the New York public library that was across the park from my apartment and find parks to read in. But yeah, you just get really good at filling time, but in good ways, you know, ways that were inspiring to me. And I just always felt like I was exploring and would write down what I did that day, the castings that I had or the people that I met, the things I saw. So it's fun now to look back at that and remember, you know, and this summer I was here and this fall I was here and kind of recollect all those memories. Do you, um, do you remember coming back home from any of your markets and, uh, the feeling that you had of somewhat of like a loneliness because you couldn't really share your experiences? Definitely. And that started almost right away when I had moved out to LA it was all my friends last summer before they were moving to college. So I already kind of felt disconnected, you know, missing out on that experience. And by the time I came home, they had all gone through recruitment with their sororities and were talking about their dorm life and college. And not a single one of them knew what a casting was. Not a single one of them could, you know, tell you what happens on a photo shoot or comprehend what goes on in a model apartment. So I do remember kind of coming home and, not necessarily getting frustrated, but just kind of feeling stuck in between and wanting to relate to them, but having such a different lifestyle. And yeah, it was definitely an adjustment, but with time, you know, my friends who cared were into it and would ask about castings and, you know, what do you do every day? Like what's a day in the life of Cat Wold? So it was kind of fun to explain to them a life that they didn't understand and also go visit them at college and kind of see what they were experiencing at the same time. Do you feel like you've done, you've missed out a little bit with being a part of their scene as well? Yeah, there were times that I had to talk myself out of FOMO, if you will, fear of missing (laughs) out. And at first I swore I wanted to go to college and be in a sorority and sort of watch all of them live that life out. There were times that I was sad and wondered if I was missing out. But when I came to and realized they're not playing dress up and dancing around national parks in foreign countries and every day being able to go to the Santa Monica Pier or the beach and walk down Abbott Kinney. So I just had to remind myself that my experiences, although were very different than theirs, I wasn't missing out on that because I was getting the most fulfilling 
experiences that I couldn't have even imagined. So fast forward, now that you were in New York, you've been in some other markets. Um, uh, you want to tell us about what other markets that you've been in too? Yes. Yeah, so I went to Mexico City after New York, which that was one that my parents were a little skeptical about being in law enforcement and <laughs> dad in Mexico, right, to be. They're like, I mean, is it really safe to be sending our 18-year-old daughter there by herself? I think I had to do like a, a, a phone call with him to kind of like calm him down and convince him at the time, uh, which was really funny. But also I was like, oh my gosh, I swear if this does not go right, he is going to come find me, hunt me down and kill me. So I yeah. <laughs> I was we like... Been taken. That would have been him. He's praying. like, I... Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was a conference call with you and my New York agents because he, again, just wanted to feel comfortable. I mean, no parent wants to think they're doing the wrong thing for their kid and they're sending their kid off to for whatever to happen. Right, because how old were you when you went to Mexico? I was, I must have been 19 because, yeah, it was the summer. It was after I had graduated and been doing this for about a year. So I was 19, but I ended up going there and everything went well. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, hold on one second. Back up. Back I mean, it up. My agents and getting to my apartment. Like, this was the first place I was going out of the country to work. So all of that went smoothly. Language? But what about language? Language was okay. Um, everyone at my agency spoke at least a little bit of English. And I knew some bare minimum Spanish from high school. So I could ask about where things were in the grocery store and where the you know, bus stops were. But within a week of being there, Mexico had their biggest earthquake in over 100 years on the anniversary of their previous biggest earthquake, which was just a weird coincidence. But I remember being on the phone with my dad and my bunk bed starts shaking. I said, Dad, I think there's an earthquake. And all of a sudden, this shelf that's up against the wall tips over. My things are falling off of it and the phone line cuts. So the only thing my dad knows is there's an earthquake and he now has no communication with me. Which I want to say was not my fault, dad, at all. <laughs> no one's fault. And we're from Minnesota. We don't have earthquakes. I don't know what you're supposed to do in that situation. So I'm sitting in my room, rocking back and forth, bawling. And after a little bit, I'm like, do I go outside? Am I supposed to stay under a structure? Like, I have no idea. So I go outside. There's a lot of people outside, sirens, helicopters, fire trucks, ambulances, everywhere and I kind of just start following the crowd I'm like I don't know where we're supposed to go but gotta go somewhere and there were no there was no noticeable damage on my street but as I walked you know every store restaurant everything had closed and there was a church around the corner that some of the stained glass windows had shattered and bricks were falling and I still had no phone service and I tried to ask someone you know where do we go what are we supposed to do and everyone's kind of frantic and I remember sitting down on this park bench and I put my headphones in and start listening to Enya, which if you don't know who that is, look it up. It's very soothing, tranquil music. I listen to it when I read. But I rocked back and forth and thought, this is it. I'm going to die in Mexico. <laughs> and I'm going to be airlifted back home. And my parents were right. But just then, I start getting a phone call from my mom. So the phone line must have been working again. And she's crying, you can come home if you want to. And... I had just got there. I had, you know, a couple more months to be there. And you and I eventually talked and kind of talked about 
how there can be afterquakes. So to have a backpack ready with water and flashlight and anything I might need if I have to leave the building again. But that was definitely like, wow, good. First international market, earthquake. Congratulations. <laughs> you, yeah. passed the, you passed the test. You passed the test. You didn't go home. So. But yeah, Mexico ended up being a really good industry. You know, they have editorials, but some commercial work as well. And the locals there were incredible. I mean, mi casa es su casa. What's mine is yours. They were so welcoming. They were like, would just welcome me into their homes. I met locals and went to a ranch with them, like hours outside the city where we went zip lining over canyons. And I ended up going to music festivals with them. So while I was there for work, I was able to meet some really cool people from all over the world and get some outside experiences that weren't just about modeling. Did you have like a favorite um, job that you did there in Mexico? Um, I did a runway show for, I think it was their Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week. But it was a runway show that was a really big deal. They do it every year and Megan Fox was hosting it. So that was just kind of cool seeing her backstage and she'd come back up for makeup touch-ups. And I'm like, I remember watching you in Fast and Furious. Now I'm seeing you in person. Um, was that your were, was that your first like uh, like celebrity sighting? I had seen them in L.A., but this was the first one that I was on set, kind of working with uh, a celebrity. So, but yeah, other than that, I did some cool editorials um, and some basic e-com like in every market but and explain what e-com is for all the girls out there so e-com is when you shoot for online stores so you go to forever 21 you're shopping all those pictures of the models and the clothes are e-commerce and depending on the brands you know their style can be different h&m zara they'll have a more movement style e-com kind of lifestyle and some brands will just do the standard straight, sideways, backwards. But those are usually long days and lots of outfits. But they can be great because they're good money. And if you build relationships with clients, they want to keep working with you, which is, you know, good steady income. So, but yeah, all my friends from home are like, e-com? What's e-com? <laughs> That's not a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Thing in the modeling world. Um, so, okay, so after Mexico, um, we went to another market. It was... So we went back to L.A. just for a little bit because we had some time to kill before the holidays. But then we talked about Singapore. We made plans for that, which was going to be my first, you know, really far away flight, really long stay uh, to be on the other side of the world. And I remember being in L.A., having that phone call with you and kind of freaking out. I'm like, Mexico is okay because if anything happens, I'm a two and a half or three hour flight from home. I can still be on the same phone plan because Verizon, it was just North America and Mexico. So I didn't have to worry about that. And I just really knew nothing about Singapore. I didn't even know what to expect. So we laid those plans out and I left right after New Year's. Um, so when you think- landed in Singapore at the airport, what was like... So- just to give an idea, uh, what goes through your head and your mind as you're as you're landing? What are some things that you had to accomplish to get from landing in Singapore to getting into your model house? So, depending on the country and their immigration laws, 
it's different depending on if you need a work visa or you have forms that say what you're doing is exempt from needing that. And your agency will run that by you before going and kind of brief you on what to do when you land. So in Singapore, I had uh, forms on my phone that just said, here's how long I'm staying. This is what I'm doing. I don't need a work visa because modeling is exempt from that. So you wait in line for immigration, show them whatever you need to show them, and then go to baggage claim, get your stuff, and either Uber or certain agencies will have a car that's waiting for you there, which is especially nice your first time arriving in the market. You know, you don't know the airport, you don't know the country. So I believe that's what they had in Singapore. They had someone waiting that had my name on it with a sign and took me to my apartment. And they had a woman who kind of ran the apartments. So she would be awake whenever a new model arrived and have the key and kind of show you this is the Wi-Fi and run it by you, which you don't always have. Sometimes it's an address and you get near Uber and show up and kind of figure it out for yourself with whatever roommates you have. But I landed at like five or six in the morning. So this woman welcomed me in. Uh, all my roommates were sleeping, so I didn't want to go into the bedroom yet to kind of settle in. But then I remember one of my roommates was Russian, and she came out and sat by me and made me coffee and eggs and kind of welcomed me. So that was really nice and reassuring. And I think I FaceTimed some people from home to just let them know that I made it. And it was a weekend, so I luckily had kind of a day to just chill, sleep off my jet lag, and meet my agents the following day. And, and then, then how you... long were you there in Singapore? I was there for about three months. I think it was a 90-day contract. Mm -hmm. And I ended up staying uh, an additional two weeks because I had worked for Sephora while I was there. And they ended up wanting to book me again for a shoot that was after the time I was supposed to leave. But they paid to change my flight. And so I stayed for a couple more weeks for that. So how does that market compare to Mexico? Singapore was different from Mexico. They both have e-com and editorials, like every other market. But in Singapore especially, I did a lot of bridal. They have a lot of bridal shows, bridal shoots. Um, and it's just funny. The standards of beauty are so different in every country. So the style and the way that they would do your makeup or the way they would do your hair was very different than how they would do it in America and even how they would do it in Mexico. You know, I'd always have very, very pale makeup. They wanted to make sure we stayed as pale as possible and bigger eyebrows, which I don't have. So <laughs> a lot of drawing on of the eyebrows. Um, but Singapore also is pretty westernized so I didn't have to worry again as much about this language barrier there was always at least someone on set who spoke English um but yeah I can't think of many substantial differences what between about, the two what about the the laws in Singapore Did, was that a noticeable difference when you went there yes so before every country I would travel to I would look up things to know as a traveler you know you don't want to insult anyone by doing something that you don't know is insulting to their culture I'm like that would be me I get to a country I accidentally <laughs> do the thing that you're absolutely not supposed to do and suddenly I'm in prison on the other side of the world so I did some research and found out that Singapore is the safest and cleanest country in the world 
They do not sell chewing gum in the entire island. It's illegal to chew it. You cannot litter. You cannot hang up posters or anything on the streets. You can't graffiti. I mean, think of anything you're probably not supposed to do, and you definitely can't do it in Singapore, or you'll be punished by cane. They cane you. And so that alone was enough to kind of scare me into just being on my best behavior. But the gum thing was an adjustment. (laughs) You never really think about how much you chew gum until you cannot whatsoever. But it was also nice because I could get off the train coming home from a job pretty late at night when it was dark and not for a single second worry about something bad happening to me. Which I think this is your dad's like most... (laughs) like best possible country for her his daughter to be in yeah like because he's like she's fine you can go to singapore the rest of your life (laughs) stay there forever actually (laughs) yeah that was a good good market just for safety reasons and and it was cool i singapore would probably never be on my list of places to travel to just because i didn't know anything about it but you know, warm climate, palm trees, kind of tropical, but then very futuristic almost. You know, their buildings reminded me of New York and Dubai, and it was just kind of this melting pot of a lot of cultures, and it was very, very unique. So, and the model house there, kind of explain to the girls, like, what a model house is, and and I, I, they're all different in every country, yes. Okay are all very different but in st well so we'll we'll go with the singapore model house how does that sound yes so we were in an apartment complex there were a couple different apartments and the agency owned i think three all in one building so ours was a three bedroom there was three beds in one room two beds in another room and four beds in the last room which was mine so i had a bunk bed and two other girls had single beds which, and there was a pretty big kitchen, which was nice. We had a washing machine in that one, which you didn't always have. In Mexico, I did my laundry in the sink. (laughs) I was not close to any... Improv. Yeah, I wasn't close to any laundromats, so having a washing machine in there was a luxury. We had a really nice balcony and a big open room that we could do workouts in, and there was a TV in. But you're living with girls who are from all over the world, ranging from probably, I'd say 14 to 15, up till there was a 26-year-old who lived with us. So very diverse. Um, Typically, you don't know anyone you're living with until you get there. But later on, after a couple years of modeling, I would live with a girl in Milan who I lived with in Singapore or meet a girl at a casting in London who I saw in Paris. So it's kind of funny because eventually it all overlaps. But they were fun. I mean, you meet girls who are with your agency, who you can go to castings with, who, you know, you can complain about your jobs with or talk about the fun parts of your jobs with. So I think there is a side of model apartments that isn't so glamorous, but the best part was definitely the networking and just getting to meet girls who are with your agencies. They're doing the same thing and make friends so uh so obviously one of the things that's probably not as glamorous is that you're bunked in usually with one or more roommates depending Mm -hmm. on which country you and which agency you're with um 
what are some other non-glamorous parts <laughs> of uh, living in a model house? I mean, just imagine nine girls in an apartment with two bathrooms. Girls are kind of messy <laughs> when it comes to hair products and hair in the shower and every gross thing we do. And there are girls who would have call times at 5 a.m. So they're up at 4 a.m. taking a shower right next to you. So you're not getting the best sleep. Or there are girls who would go out and come home at 3 a.m. walking into your room waking you up. Um, sadly, there are girls who steal. It was the weirdest thing. I collect Starbucks mugs from everywhere that I go. And I had bought a Starbucks mug on my layover in Hong Kong on my way there. Close to the end of my trip. And notice it's not in the kitchen anymore. And I had seen one of my roommates that had just arrived using it, which I wasn't going to say, that's my mug, give it back. Like, she'll just put it back in the kitchen, it's a mug. But a couple days go by and it's not back in the kitchen. So I finally ask her, like, have you seen a mug that says Hong Kong? And I had heard her speak English prior to this. But in this situation, she pretended she had no idea what I was saying. So next day when she was gone, I looked in her room, didn't see it. I'm like, this is weird. Like, where would you, would you take my mug? A couple days go by, I left a note in the kitchen just saying, if anyone has seen this mug, please put it back in the kitchen. Nothing. And so I eventually asked the woman who manages all the apartments to just ask the other girls. I'm like, I don't know if someone brought it down to another model apartment or where it would have gone, but I collect them. It was kind of expensive and I want it back. So this woman comes up and asks all the girls in our apartment and I see the girl who was using it say, no, I haven't seen it. Days go by and I'm like, a mug of all things for you to steal. <laughs> and I go to a movie and on my way back, I'm like, you just have to say it. You're not confrontational, but just say it. Just, you know, you're leaving in a few days. You want to start packing. You need your mug. Miraculously, I walk in the front door and the mug is in the kitchen. I'm like, huh, a week later, she finally decides to give it back. But this is where it got creepy. I go into my room and at the time, my, all my other roommates had moved out. So I had this room to myself and the mug stealer was in a different room. She didn't know that I came home, so I'm sitting in my room. She would have absolutely no reason to go in my room. The door opens, and I see her face, and she quickly pulls back the door and closes it, like shocked that she saw me in there. I'm like, what were you doing coming in my room again? <laughs> I was on edge, and for the last week I was in Singapore, I packed up my entire bag, and I'm not kidding, I would set traps. I would lay leggings or a shirt or something specifically in a position over my suitcase where I'd be able to tell if someone had moved it and opened it. So it's definitely, you know, it sucks feeling uneasy if you can't trust these roommates, but, and girls can just be nasty. <laughs> I remember this phone call too, because um, I was actually really proud of you because this is where you started finding your voice. And this is what we talked about at the very beginning was like, when you're starting off in modeling, you have a really hard time speaking up. But in Singapore, you actually started finding your voice. And and I remember asking you, like, do you need me to call the agency and talk to them about this? And you're like, nope, I have it handled. I'm dealing with it. And it was it's like you were able to finally, like, just stand up for yourself and speak. Yes. Yeah, yeah. no, that was – Singapore in general, I think, was – a you know, it tested me just because I was so far and dealing with just a new country and new agents and jet lag. Like there were so many things that really tested me, but I meditated every single day while I was there and 
there were a couple of shoots that didn't go as planned. So I had to speak up on those. And I definitely think it was a pivotal point where I kind of realized I have a say in all this. This is my life and my job. And I can speak up for myself. The other thing that's really different in Singapore um, and I and a lot of Asia um, is the length of the jobs. Um, I believe you had a situation uh, like at the end of your stay when you were shooting and you knew you had to get on the plane and leave, right? Yes. So Sephora, which I worked with them two times and they were so lovely, but they had such big productions, you know, they're kind of all over the place. Like, are we doing this or that? And so the first time I shot with them, one shoot day ended up being like 15 hours or something. We shot until like one or two in the morning. And I was kind of scared that would happen the next time. And it totally did. I had two days of shooting with them and basically had to leave from my shoot to the airport. And both nights we went shooting until probably one or two o'clock in the morning. So I was going from my shoot to the airport, trying to take off like these fake nails in my Uber and take off my makeup. And I think they had used purple hairspray in my hair. So I'm trying to make myself look a little more presentable before this like 14 hour flight home, but long hours. That Yes. And that flight did not, uh, did not go well. If I remember as also, because, um, it lasted longer than 14 hours. Did it not? It did. And turbulence the entire time. I mean, at one point they had served dinner and everyone's trays were on, you know, the little fold down tables and the turbulence was so bad. Someone's tray like tips into the aisle, the red wine spills. I was nauseous. I was in the absolute back of the plane. Uh, Yeah, that was, I've had a couple rough flights, but that was up there with one of the worst and longest. And then didn't you get stuck in Canada? on that one as well? No, where did I get stuck? I had a layover. Let's just say that cat went, (laughs) traveling and cat do not get along at all. Yeah, let's just say modeling and traveling teach you patience and they teach you how to adapt. And yeah, traveling especially. I cannot tell you how many airports I've cried in how many meltdowns I've had in airports. I remember being on the floor of the airport in Milan. My suitcase was overweight. I hadn't slept. I was overtired. I was emotional. And I'm sitting there just throwing things away. I'm like, this, I don't need it. This, I don't need it. And I'm sobbing. I'm like, if anyone asks what's wrong, I think I need to tell them someone died. Like, I have no reason to be crying this hard and melting down in an airport. But it just, it gets to you. And when you're on a flight after a flight or you're going from the flight to a casting and it all can be super overwhelming, but it definitely teaches you patience. <laughs> or other things. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll, uh, we'll go over to Milan now because I think Milan for you was probably one of your better markets. Um, you have been seasoned at this point in other international markets and um i think also like you all you had one of your best jobs there um with yeah so i'll let you talk about that one so milan ended up being the market that i think i spent the most time in maybe other than la but i was in milan for a while went home and then i went back there for a while so 
I grew to love it. Um, my agents there were some of my favorites. But that was the first place that I would have 11, 12, 13 castings a day. And they would just have to tell you, prioritize them. You know, this one's, you have to make it to, this one you have to make it to. And if you don't get to all of them, that's okay. But it is June, scorching hot in Milan. You're waiting sometimes hours at these castings. And it was Men's Fashion Week, I believe. So lots of long castings, but I had one for Dolce & Gabbana. And it went really well. The casting director was so lovely. I had a really good feeling about it. And that night I got an email that I had a fitting for them. And I don't remember if the fitting was the next day or a couple days later, but I'm on my way to it when my booker emails me and says it's been canceled. And I think it was you who ended up telling me Dolce Yamana cut any women from their men's show and they only wore boxers. I'm like, well, that makes sense why the fitting was canceled. And they later ended up having a show that was going to be at Lake Como, which I was lucky enough to be in. And that, that to this day was my all time favorite job, the most memorable job. So can you set the Lake... scene of like what Lake Como looks like? Yes. Yeah, so I was going to say I went to Lake Como one time just for fun uh, with some of the girls I was living with there. And basically picture, you know, the lake with the pretty scattered rainbow houses up on the sides and it is a massive lake with tiny little towns kind of surrounding it, but easily one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. You know, they're selling gelato by the street and everyone's walking and biking and there's families and the like blue water, green leaves, seriously one of the, my favorite places I've been. But I was excited because when I went with my friends, I was in a different little town than I was going to be with Dolce Gabbana. So I was excited to see something new. And as you're driving there, you know, you're going along this road that just overlooks the whole lake. And every, I think there was almost 200 models in that show. Everyone's taking pictures. And it's like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So I think we had to take the train or a bus at like 6 a.m. And it was about an hour away. And we were getting ready in this kind of mansion, almost warehouse, but Italian, if you will. Uh, villa. So, yeah, very pretty little villa. And so they had stations kind of scattered throughout. One area you're getting your nails done. One area they're doing hair and makeup. And it was so hot. And I remember kind of halfway through getting ready, they had us all go do this rehearsal. So we're all wearing little robes and... I think we all carried umbrellas so our makeup wouldn't melt off and we wouldn't sweat or get sunburnt. So I think I have videos on my phone, just a hundred people in front of me all walking with these little umbrellas, but they'd play the music and teach us. It was not super complicated, but two people would walk up uh, from each side of the staircase and they kind of taught us the choreography almost how we we're going to walk out and the path that we would take and where people would be sitting and where the photographer is going to be. So make sure that you're looking at that. And, um, so we practiced a couple of times, went back inside and I remember sitting down to get my nails done. And this woman's walking up the stairs and she's like, Oh, and I'll need a manicurist too. And I look over and it's Naomi Campbell. <laughs> I'm like, shut up. And I know that she had done, you know, she's done so many things with Dolce & Gabbana, so I don't know why I was shocked that she was a part of it. But I'm like, that's Naomi Campbell. Did anyone else see that? That's Naomi Campbell. And the next scene is I'm walking into this buffet kind of style room that they have someone making coffee for the models and 
all sorts of different snacks. And I go up to get, get a coffee and we were wearing these name tags that had a photo of our outfit. So girls would kind of come look like, what are you wearing? What are you wearing? And as I'm grabbing my coffee, this girl's like, oh, oh my God, I love your outfit. I look up, it's Ashley Graham. I'm like, is this real? Is this entire day real? And she ended up being the sweetest, most humble person that I've worked with. Like so sweet, so genuine, wanted to hear about where I'm from and where I've lived. And we were just talking all about the market. And the coolest part about that show was how many big faces were in it. You know, there's Ashley Graham, Naomi Campbell, um, a couple famous models from London, but just a very, very, very diverse group. And then, so we walk out, we do the show. It was so beautiful, so many people there. And if you know anything about Dolce & Gabbana, they're the most over-the-top, extravagant. I mean, they cross every T and dot every I when it comes to their shows, to the point that if you're wearing peep-toe heels and tights, you know, you can barely even see your toes, they'll still have your toenails painted, so you can barely see a color coming through. I mean, they don't miss a single detail. So every outfit was extravagant and there are crowns and they used real flowers in your hair. They, some girls were carrying umbrellas that were completely covered in real flowers. So just the energy was amazing. The whole time as I'm walking out there, I'm like, pinch me, pinch me. This is a dream come true. And I can't wait to tell everyone about this. And at the very end, as I'm walking up the staircase to leave, None other than Naomi Campbell walks out and I actually had to pull my outfit to the side to fit her big, huge, rainbow, feathery dress. Kind of looked like a parrot, but an elegant <laughs> parrot. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, never in my life did I imagine stepping aside so Naomi Campbell can get on the runway. It's amazing. Uh, going back to Ashley Graham, because you talked about how she meeting her was just like this amazing thing. And I always explain to uh, the models, as you're growing up in this industry, you're going to become a big sister and you're going to have little sisters looking up to you. And Kat, you have a little sister that mm -hmm. you're kind of like, you know, uh, you, you kind of coach a little bit and everything too, um, to help in the industry. But you also have a whole bunch of other little sisters that look up to you and they're like, well, she's done so much. But did you, did you notice at the time that you were the little sister and Ashley Graham was the, the big sister? Yeah, I did kind of have that feeling. Um, just cause it's that concept of, I look up to you or I idolize you or you've done things I want to do. Um, and just, being an aspiring model, I'm like, yes, I'm doing this big show, which is probably the biggest job of my career, but look at all that she's done and where she's been. And um, I remember asking her questions about her favorite jobs. And I just thought it was cool that there was a designated area for some of the celebrities to get ready in, but she's just out with all the, all the regulars like us and drinking coffee with us and talking. So was there like a I, piece of advice that she gave you? I remember kind of meeting in this small group of girls and one girl wasn't a model she was more of an influencer so she had never done something like this and was terrified to walk and Ashley was just like you're you you're confident like go out there no one's gonna say she's walking like she doesn't know what she's doing if you think you know what you're doing like you just go out there and 
I think she embodies confidence in a way that is so inspiring to other models because while the industry is kind of changing and becoming more welcoming to people of all sizes, she's like, yeah, I am who I am and I'm great at it. And she kind of gave that energy to all of us before the show, which was almost like a coach giving the whole team a pep talk before you go out there. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, that's like one of my favorite parts is sitting back and watching those moments and watching the little sister look at the big sister and go like, I want to be her. And the big sister looking at the little sister saying, I remember when I was her. It's mm-hmm. just, I've seen it so many times um, with my own girls that I, it just, it brings like tears to my eye because it's just, it's like just one of those experiences to watch unfold in front of you. It's so beautiful. So, right. um, and the best part too, with like living in model apartments with girls who were younger and had questions. It's like, I remember being a deer in the headlights when I arrived in LA. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't even know how to do these castings. And you know, the older girls would help you or give you advice. And that was the best thing to kind of grow up and get more familiar with everything and be able to give that advice to the newer girls. So what would be your, uh, if you were to give like one piece of advice to the girls, what would it be? As I said earlier, modeling is such a mind game and you spend a lot of time by yourself. You spend a lot of time in your head. So the most important thing is just to keep that relationship with yourself a positive one. And there are times that you're wondering why you're not getting this job and is this too big or is this too small and what's wrong with me? And it can be really easy to start cutting yourself down and thinking about all the things that you're not. But you have to realize when there are hundreds of beautiful, beautiful people going to these castings. And you've told me clients sometimes say, oh, we want a girl with her eyes further apart. Or we want a girl who has this and that. And they have such an idea of what they want. And if you're not it, that doesn't mean you're not enough. And it doesn't mean that you're not the best and beautiful and still everything that you are. But it can be so easy to fall into that. And... There are just times that I wish I had been kinder to myself and I wish that I would have kept reminding myself, like, you are enough, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think self-compassion goes a long way um, for models. And um, it's actually something I've been studying a little bit more um, and reading about um, so that I can help girls um, understand that. So um, hopefully... Um, we'll be able to kind of share more with them as we right. go, as with we go that, on. Yeah. With that, I think another thing is comparison will kill you. You know, if you sit there and you look at other girls about what they have that you want or that, you know, this was better. It's just you have to focus on you and what you're doing and knowing that you're doing what's best for you and you're following the path that you're supposed to. And you can't sit and pick apart you know, yourself and what you wish was different and all that. All that. What about for parents? Because, um, I mean, obviously you had like one of the most protective parents, which is great. Um, but also sometimes, um, it can also hinder your career in certain ways. So what would be a piece of advice you would give to, uh, parents who's, um, wanting their kids in modeling? (laughs) I think an important thing for parents to understand is with modeling, there is no concrete structure. You know, there are not always concrete answers. 
you won't get this. On this date, she'll be in London until this time, and then she'll go here. Like, we want concrete answers sometimes, but you can't always get them. And it's important to just learn to adapt and to be fluid and to really go with the flow. And that's something I would have to remind my parents all the time, you know, well, why don't you know this? And why don't you know that? I'm like, dad, no one knows the answer to those questions. And you just have to be able to sit back, you know, trust the agents, trust the model. Um, and why, and just, why is it that you can't know those answers? I'll give an example. Yes. Um, so I was living in New York back during fall uh, fashion week. And I had just talked to my agent about staying at his house, cat sitting for him while he was going to go and do the whole circuit of fashion month. So at that time, my plan was to be in New York for at least another month. And I'm sitting in my apartment on like a Saturday. I get a phone call. My agent says, hey, Catherine, I need you to pack all of your stuff. And we have a flight for you to Milan in six hours, but we don't know when you're coming back. And anyone else in that situation would be like, what do you mean flight in six hours? But I'm like, okay, let's go. And my agent's like, this is why I love you. You're just so go with the flow. What do but, you mean it's an international flight? <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, you have to. I mean, in that situation, what am I supposed to say? No. Like a client had a book to flight for me and that's the plan. So you just have to understand that in the blink of an eye, your entire trajectory can change and you know you're living in one city and a client wants you in another city or you have a family vacation planned in June but now Sephora is calling and wants you to fly out to Singapore for that job so they just have to understand that things pop up here and there and up until the second a show starts you could be dropped from it so it's learning that nothing is as I said, concrete. It's just going to be kind of ever-changing and you have to learn to deal with that. And also every model, I mean, every kid, every person needs to be supported in a different way. And I think it's important for parents and models to have an open communication about this is what I need you guys to do for me to be the best I can be. And that goes both ways. You know, parents, whether it's they want to be CC'd on emails about your schedule I just think communication is the most important thing across all platforms with your agents, with your parents, with your relationships, but to just know how to support your model and the way that they need it is really important. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, it's very hard to explain the industry until you're in it. Um, and the best thing you can do is once you can kind of give like a forewarning of like, this could happen. And you're either going to have path A, B, or C. But until it actually lands on your lap, then then you're like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And at least kind of give you an idea of like what the next 24 hours or week is going to look like. Um, right. But for yeah. the most part, it's, it's almost impossible to uh, have something solid in this industry. And, you yeah. know, I mean – you're yeah you're always you just don't know your your books are always going to be in your chart charts which are um we should explain to everybody is kind of it's like uh a chart is like a file folder of the model's calendar so um your charts change constantly throughout the whole um the whole day even um yeah if there was times i'm 
on the treadmill in Milan and my agent's like, oh, we need you at the agency in 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, we're going to go rinse off quick. And yeah, (laughs) things just pop up and no day was ever the same as the last. And yeah, I mean, it's, you just learn how to adapt to an ever-changing lifestyle. So just a couple more questions because we'll wrap it up. Uh, What would be like your one item that you have to pack when you travel? Mine would be, I mean, this isn't even like a traveling, like you must have this, but personally it was my Kindle or my journal because I just knew I was going to be spending a lot of time either waiting for shoots to start or on a train to a shoot or on a train to a different city or on a plane and having something always with me. My journal has been around the world and back. And is your journal and, like a bullet journal type or is it like a, like a, a line journal where you, with a lock, a line you have a lock journal. and a key? I should have a lock and a key because my mom did read my journal in high school. But no, this one is just a lined journal. It's a leather bound. Um, and as I said, I would sometimes write about what I did that day. I have a couple pages in there that have like every address I've ever lived at or the people I lived with and what country they were from just for memories. So it was kind of a travel log, but it was also kind of the only person I'm with all the time is myself. So let's get some thoughts out on paper. Uh, which I think was really good for my, my mental health traveling. And then my Kindle, instead of carrying a bunch of different books with me, I had an entire library at my fingertips. So those were my must-haves wherever I went. And uh, what about, like, when you traveled, was there, like, a specific hobby that you always went and looked for um, to do in that in that market? Um, I would typically look up, once I arrived, just look up, the best not even sightseeing areas because I wouldn't always want to go to the tourist places but finding you know cool places to just kind of explore that was my favorite thing um in Singapore I found this little botanical garden and as I was walking there's this tree with a big almost hammock but kind of tighter than that reminded me of something you'd see in a Tarzan movie but so I sat under this tree on this big like rope mesh net and I was like, how did I even get here? But I just did a lot of exploring. Um, otherwise, there are several apps like Beauty Pass, uh, Neon Coat, Model Village, and those would offer, you know, free meals or free workout classes. And so those would be a fun thing to do with roommates. Go kind of find a dance class or something random to do. Yep. And we should mention that those apps are for uh, models that are signed with the agencies and the bigger markets. Um, So once you get signed to um, a big market agency and you're traveling, you can download this app and sign up. And then I believe you have to uh, send in your comp card or the website with the the shows that you're on their website to get approved. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think I uploaded pictures of my comp cards and then the link to my portfolio on the website. But those were great because... They, they were activities, you know, for models, like these Pilates classes, or they would just do little social get-togethers and in different cities. Like in New York, they have Model Lounge, where you could go in between castings, and they have snacks and computers and just a place to hang out and kind of network with your fellow models. Yeah, it's a, a perfect little spot. What... um. If you were to do your own ad campaign, what would your message say? 
I was thinking about this earlier and it kind of goes back to my piece of advice, but I would do one that says you are enough and it would be an ad campaign for everybody and just encouraging self-love. I think that's so important and especially today with social media, as I talked about comparison, I think social media can be so detrimental to people and to their mental health and we need more campaigns that are just real and authentic and showing girls that are we're all different but we're all the same and we're all beautiful as we are no i i totally agree and i i see that a lot as well and i think a lot of girls just like you when you went to florida to take a break um at some point to reset themselves um because it can be so much on a girl um or a guy guys are just as as uh, heavy hearted as girls are um, Mm -hmm. when it comes to beating themselves up. So um, I think it's something that we definitely, definitely need to work on in our industry for sure. Yeah. Um, I always like to do uh, for the last thing I always like to do, wouldn't it be great if um, it's always been a game (laughs) with our, uh, our, uh, our people. And we always try to come up with fun, cool ideas. And if it's anything silly or stupid or, or serious um, about the industry, you know, um, but what would be your, like, wouldn't it be great if. Wouldn't it be great if models and agents got paid in a timely fashion? Yo. <laughs> okay. That one, we, we can definitely go way more into, but this is, very true. I don't think a lot of people understand um, how long it takes for a model to get paid. Um, so, Kat, you do you want to do you want to? Yeah. And I think that's another important thing for parents to understand as their you know younger models are getting into the industry. It's not where you finish one photo shoot and you have a paycheck at the end or you finish a photo shoot and your agent has already been paid for it and you'll be paid immediately because clients have 90 days to pay the agency. Well, they have like 30 days usually to pay the agency, but they don't usually pay 30 days. (laughs) They pay anywhere between 30 to 180 days, I would say. Right, like months later. Yeah. And then... Yeah, then the agency gets it and will take out, you know, your web imaging fees and your comp cards and whatever expenses you have. But the process of trying to get paid after a shoot is something that I hit my head against a wall about. It's but true because you have... It, I think oh, go ahead. California's working on improving that. Yes. Yep. California now has a law where the, the model has to get paid within two weeks. Um, and so that is amazing. Um, and yes. I think it doesn't need to be just a California law. I think it needs to be an international law um, to help just the whole process in general for our industry. There are uh, clients who we love those clients, but it's at the same time um, having to wait so long for uh, something that you've done already or or, and your imaging is up then the the payment needs to be made um and of course that's like an agency's job is to go after them um but there's so much you can do as an agency until 
you have to actually go to court um, and then it gets messy, you know. And then if the client files bankruptcy, that's a whole nother concept um, to wrap your head around too. So I do feel like this is a great, wouldn't it be great if, because it's something that I feel that we need to figure out as an industry. Um, the actors have figured it out with their union, SAG-AFTRA. Does that mean that models need to have a union? I don't know. But it does mean we really need to consider if you're going to be an, a legitimate model, <laughs> a, re- a model who's going to travel and this is your career and you're doing this all over the world, how you're going to be able to sustain um, a life um, and pay your bills. Right. I mean, I just laugh because in no other industry does that happen. You know, oh, I got surgery 180 days ago, but I still haven't paid for it. Or, you know, I went out to eat last night, but didn't pay the restaurant and I'll pay them in 180 days. Like you pay for things as they're done. And it is makes me happy that California is working on it. I think California in some ways kind of ahead of the rest of us, but I do see a lot of changes happening in the industry, and that's one that I'm really excited about and happy for. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us, and I hope to talk to you soon, and um, we'll see you soon. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for joining us on the Model Jeans podcast. Want to talk about this podcast? As always, we love to hear from you. Jump over to our social media platforms at Model Jeans Podcast. Then come on over to modelgenealogy.com to sign up to be the first to get exclusive updates on our VIP live interviews and all the updates you need to know. Be sure to take the test to see what type of model you are so you have a path to follow. Lastly, do you have a challenge for us to solve? Reach out to us at Model Genealogy. You may find our comeback sooner than you think on Topic Tuesday. Thanks so much for hanging out with me.